You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do the people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. The eyes of the world, the eyes of the populations of the world are on you and we have your numbers. That lingering sensual please remains and we'll see what comes next. We need to make sure that what sits there on a piece of paper is actually going to turn into tangible, actionable projects on the ground that are going to make a difference to people's lives. You're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Ewan Potts. And good afternoon. I'm Caroline Hepke. Well, the government has snapped up more vaccine doses for the next two years, buying an additional 114 million jabs from Moderna and Pfizer for an undisclosed sum. The new contracts include access to modified vaccines if they're needed to tackle the Omicron and other future variants of concern. Well, the health secretary, Sajid Javid, said it will future-proof the vaccine rollout. The World Health Organization, though, has questioned the benefits of giving vaccines to healthy adults. It points out that 80% of the world's vaccines have gone to G20 countries and less than half of 1% to the whole of Africa. Joining us now is Jamie Driscoll, who is the Labour Mayor of North of Tyne. Jamie, welcome back to the programme. Thanks so much for being with us. Firstly, on the pandemic and vaccines, do you think we should be buying more vaccine doses for the next couple of years, 2022 and 23, when the government hasn't even given the 100 million that we've already pledged to poorer nations? This is quite controversial, isn't it? Good morning, Caroline. There's a few questions in there, yeah. Um, Part of it is to make sure that everybody's vaccinated. And on a moral case, we should absolutely be helping people across the world deal with this. Um, but it's also in our own self-interest to make sure the rest of the world is vaccinated. As we're seeing, you know, the Omicron variant is coming out of areas where vaccine rates are lower. Where vaccine rates are lower, that's where new variants tend to generate. So there is absolutely that internationalist element to it. I think the number one thing that we can be doing is obviously vaccinating our own population because we're not right up there yet. We've got what we on we're about. Um, it's around about 69% of the population have been double vaccinated. Um, and as the virus mutates, we need to be getting boosters into everybody. Um, and so I do think it's about what we can do to increase capacity overall, um, having enough vaccines to vaccinate the people in Britain, but also I don't see it as a, as a conflict that we should also be increasing vaccination worldwide. And I think that's really where I would like to see the government step up and cooperate on an international basis. And in terms of um, mask restrictions, because uh, they're, they're back uh, mandatory in, in England now on public transport and in certain indoor settings, because uh, that has been the case in Scotland throughout, j- just uh, some miles north of where you are. What's your feeling on that? Do you think they should have remained mandatory in England during that time? 
Yes, I do, Ewan, yeah. Um, so when, back in July, when these were going to be phasing out, um, I was on um, in the media saying, why is it the case that we are stopping people or allowing it to be socially acceptable to not wear a mask on public transport or in hospitality? We want to keep the economy open. We want people to be able to get to work and to go out and enjoy themselves. But the wearing of a mask, you can still do that. You know, and it's a basic sign of, I think, consideration for other people. If you're wearing a mask, we like to think of ourselves as a as a polite country. Why is it that we're not wearing masks when in situations where we could and making sure that we're doing all the things around hand washing, minimizing handshakes? And I think we need to be in a stage. All the public health information that I get from speaking to directors of public health tells us that one of the things that makes the most difference is particularly for people who are vulnerable, if it's easier for them to avoid contact. So let's not make sure that we end up in a situation where we're having to put strict procedures in place by putting reasonable procedures in place as soon as we can. We should have always done it. And one of those is making it so that if people want to work from home, they can work from home. Um, What do you expect for the Christmas period and then for the winter? Do you think that there are going to be tougher restrictions? What are you planning for in the north of Tyne? Um, Are you at the stage where you believe that there won't be any stricter restrictions, which does seem to be the message from government for for Christmas, but they're not ruling out a lockdown? It's interesting. I mean, this period last year, um, I and uh, and my colleagues in the north east were calling for significant restrictions in terms of not having that that three-day period over Christmas where people could meet. It was obviously going to result in a spike in January. Um, And uh, and I remember actually the Prime Minister saying on Sunday, the schools are going to stay open and then Monday closing them. Um, So let's not um, get into the situation where we're getting very mixed messages out of government and, and ruling things out. Clearly, the Omicron virus is spreading like wildfire in Southern Africa. Um, so until we know exactly what the potential of this is, is it going to evade vaccines? We hope not. But uh, hope is not a good basis for public policy. So I think we need to be making sure that we are doing what we can to minimise the spread of the new variant while we get the scientists on the case of, of doing what needs to be done with vaccines, with other medicines. And I think it's largely the case that we should be following the scientific advice um, and be getting boosters into people. What we need is more boosters, not boosterism. Boosters, not boosterism. That's a good line. Uh, let's go to another another important uh, subject this week, the reshuffle, Keir Starmer's uh, reshuffle of the uh, shadow cabinet. Now, you were Momentum's candidate for, for your position. Uh, you're from uh, the, the Corbynite wing of the party, I think it would be fair to say. Uh, do, you, do, you, do you fear that your side of the party has really been shut out of the top team now? Um. Well, just to slightly correct you, and I wasn't Momentum's candidate. I was backed by Momentum. I was my own candidate <laughs> um, with, a, with a very clear um, plan for what we wanted to do about creating jobs and dealing with a climate emergency and dealing with poverty in the north of time. Um, I think, you know what, when it comes to the shadow cabinet, I actually think it matters less who's saying it than what's being said. Um, so if people uh, are up for doing a good job and proposing the sort of policies that need to happen, and I think that's great. I think um, any amount of, you know, it doesn't really matter who you listen to in the news. The, th- the constant thing that's coming out is people want to know what Labour stands for. Um, there's two things that an opposition needs to do. Is one, hold the government to account. And two, provide an alternative government that people have confidence in. And um, 
there's a lot of questions that people ask, you know, well, how would you do it differently? And that's what I want to see coming out strongly from the shadow cabinet, from any shadow cabinet. And uh, Labour Party policy is, is very good on the Green New Deal. It's very good on workers' rights. These are the sort of things that, that I really hope the new shadow cabinet puts forward. And if they can do it in a way that breaks through, then good luck to them. Are you troubled about that Angela Rayner wasn't really kept in the loop about this reshuffle, as she she said herself? It does seem that there's been something of a breakdown in relations between uh, Rayner and Starmer. There may be, actually, but I'm not actually close to it, Ewan. Um, You know, Westminster's 300 miles away from here. Um, In regional government, where I'm in power, my focus is literally, and this isn't a politician's answer, literally I have to spend every day delivering things. Um, and, and worrying a lot less about who's falling out with who in Westminster because it literally has no effect on the people here. OK, um, this uh, then is pretty crucial. I mean, this is central government policy, but it does have a big impact on on the people that you represent. And that's the rail spending announcement. No HS2, the line to Newcastle, means you lose out um, in terms of high-speed rail. Were you disappointed by that? Oh, absolutely, Caroline. It was it was the case that HS2 was never coming to Newcastle, by the way. Um, even in the most ambitious spending plans, the line was stopped at York and they were going to be using the 165-year-old infrastructure to get north of York to Newcastle. And there is a solution to that, and it's called the Leamside line. Uh, it was a case that there's two lines that come into Newcastle. One was mothballed in 1991. So once you get north of in North Yorkshire, there's literally only two train tracks which gives us a hard limit of six trains an hour. So whether Northern Powerhouse Rail or HS2, there was no way to get extra trains on without taking other trains off. Uh, and that means that small towns, the, the large towns along the way, they were going to lose their services. So we, for £600 million, there is a plan, which when I was speaking to our colleagues across the Northern Powerhouse, they said, yes, that is absolutely the plan that should happen. It'll produce increased connectivity from Edinburgh to, the, to England as well. So that's what we want. And collectively, at the Transport for the North Board, me and all the other Labour mayors, we've pushed for a plan that says to central government, give us the powers on land value uplift. When we build infrastructure, the land becomes more valuable. Allow us to capture that and then we can fund schemes. And we can do this without it having to put a major stress on the public purse. Mm, And I really hope government listen to that. Hmm, interesting, interesting idea. Now, the uh, Fujifilm announcement today, uh, the new facility on Teesside, not too far from where you are, and the BP Hydrogen Hub. Do you think momentum is really building on the green economy in the northeast? And do you give the, the government a bit of credit for that? Momentum is building in the northeast. Um, we, in the north of time, we've got the British Volt Gigafactory, Europe's first gigafactory, building electric uh, batteries for electric vehicles. Our offshore wind program is going very successfully. The firms that we're supporting are growing. Um, you know, everything to do with green hydrogen, which is the, the BP's new announcement in Teesside, well, that's going to need the electricity. You know, if we look at the, the reality of it, then Britain's electricity production is 330 terawatt hours a year, but there's another 500 terawatt hours a year needed for vehicle energy. Mm-hmm. So that's got to come from somewhere. And that is the offshore wind is, is the one that's most cost effective and most environmentally sustainable. And yesterday we launched our Green New Deal Fund. Mm-hmm. And so this is not only about the big ticket items, but this is small things with natural capital and planned peat bogs Jay- about helping local firms and, and the public sector to decarbonise with 
better products, better technology, solar panels on roofs, community energy, all Jamie. these things that we're doing here. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Well, let's take a look at what else is making news in the world of politics today. Irish Foreign Minister Simon Coveney says he doesn't expect there will be a full deal on all issues related to the Northern Ireland Protocol in time for Christmas. But speaking to Ireland's RTE, he did say it may be possible to sort out the issue of the supply of medicines from Britain to Northern Ireland. Meanwhile, consumers will start paying the price of mass failures of power and gas supplies in the UK as soon as April. This after the regulator Ofgem said that surviving energy companies can start recouping losses sooner than planned. Suppliers had to take on the customers of many failed firms uh, and they were unhappy that they would have to wait 18 months to make back the extra losses that this incurred. The UK has gone now from 55 down to 25 suppliers. Well, the government has agreed to a series of reforms after a major parliamentary inquiry into the experiences of women in the armed forces. Allegations of sexual offences will be dealt with outside the chain of command, but the Ministry of Defence has refused to accept the recommendation, recommendation that cases of rape and sexual assault should be taken out of military courts. The Defence Committee report heard from over 4,000 women and included accounts of assault and rape. And just finally, the National Audit Office has found that billions of pounds in government spending is either not evaluated robustly or not evaluated at all. And that means that ministers have little information in most policy areas on what difference is made by billions of pounds that is being spent. The watchdog found that only 8% of central government spending in 2019 actually had robust evaluation plans to determine whether taxpayers were receiving value for money. Well, let's get to our next interview. The Omicron variant has continued to pop up in countries around the world. But while wealthier nations like the UK focus on booster rollouts, many of the world's developing countries have seen a pathetically low number of vaccine doses. Well, earlier this year, the governments of India and South Africa proposed a waiver of WTO members' obligations to protect certain patents, including a waiver for the COVID-19 vaccine. Europe and the UK opposed it with support from the United States. Joining us now is Rosa Pavanelli, who is General Secretary of Public Service International, which is a grouping of unions around the world representing some 200 million workers. And they want to see the IP dropped for vaccines Rosa, welcome to the programme. Thank you for being with us. Now, Good business, morning. Thank you very morning. much. Business argues that IP is actually why vaccines even exist in the first place for this pandemic. Break that and the healthcare system takes a mortal blow. What would you say to that? Well, uh, we, uh, we think that uh, it is now evident that we absolutely need uh, the waiver on the intellectual property because uh, millions of uh, people died uh, before uh, uh, having the possibility to access, uh, uh, to access uh, uh, vaccine. Uh, 
uh, only in the healthcare sector, the WHO has a conservative estimation of 115,000 workers who died last year. And we don't know this year what is going to happen. And one out of 10 people in Africa had got per, uh, the first doses of vaccine. That cannot continue in this way. Uh, it cannot continue because we see the multiplication of variants. And this is the second year that we risk to have to mourn our uh, relatives instead of enjoying Christmas dinner. What do you make of the argument that without the investment of these pharmaceutical companies, we wouldn't have a vaccine? And without further investment, we won't have vaccines against against new variants? Yeah, uh, well, we need investment, uh, but we need also to say that uh, the vaccines that uh, 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 most part of the world, uh, the rich world is benefiting now, has been uh, obtained uh, through investment of public funds, of taxpayers' money. Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine research was paid 97% with public money. Uh, the same happened for Johnson & Johnson and the Pfizer, who got more than $10 billion U.S. dollars from the federal government. So what we think is that, yes, we need investment, but the public invested in research. And now it's time to, research, to return that money. Meanwhile, we wait for the IP uh, waiver, um, the pharmaceutical corporation are making over $1 million in pre-tax profits every 15 minutes. And I don't think that, that their business model can be considered at risk. And we have the experience with the HIV AIDS, uh, where corporates uh, during many, many years opposed uh, the the waiver on the patent and the possibility to produce generics. But when it happened, they didn't have to go in bankruptcy. They continued to make their business while millions of people could finally have access to mm. therapies. Well, having said that, I'm sure the European manufacturers would would argue that that isn't the case, that they're not making sizable profits. I mean, AstraZeneca, for example, has pledged to, to supply the drug at cost. So I'm sure that that would be their response. But I would like to also ask you about the Omicron variant then. How concerned are you about that? We know very little so far about the seriousness of it, conflicting reports about severity and infectiousness. Yes, it, uh, it's still uh, to be evaluated how severe is uh, this, uh, uh, this variant and how infectious it can be. What I think is uh, uh, it is important to recognize that uh, with uh, their research and, uh, and um, uh, monitoring uh, capacity, South Africa has been able to detect uh, the variant and to share their knowledge and science with all the rest of the world. We will need few days, few weeks probably to understand how it will go. But what it is sure is that until we cannot be able to vaccine all the global population, we will continue to assist to the reproduction of variants. And I'm afraid that if we don't take 
uh, resolute measures now, we will run out of the alphabet in few months. I wonder if there's a middle way on on this. Uh, the companies don't want to give up their IP. They say, you know, that their their research belongs to them. What about uh, forcing them to produce vaccines at cost for for poorer countries? Well, that can happen, but uh, uh, I think that we saw the difficulties uh, of uh, concentrating the production in a place and then being unable uh, to. Uh, distribute uh, uh, to distribute. Uh, we need to consider, for instance, that this uh, um, confinement period, the lockdown, closure of borders, and the stop of flights have also affected uh, the uh, supply chain. Mm. So it's much easier to consider that we can have different goals where production can be uh, can be done. China's President Xi has pledged a billion more vaccine doses. Is China filling the void? Is that the answer? Uh, Well, I think that uh, in terms of their um, geopolitics, that's what they are trying to do. And this is why I think it's also important that that the uh, North, the global North, the richest country, have a obligation to take actions that can be uh, kind of stress the solidarity from one hand, but also not use such a disaster as a pandemic as a weapon in a new Cold War. Wouldn't it be uh, easier to, to step up the COVAX program and uh, to ensure that uh, that delivers uh, vaccines where they're needed in the, in the global south? Well, uh, COVAX was uh, a, a good will, a good, uh, uh, a good program that started that uh, Blue Tools started immediately. Uh, but we need also to admit that it failed to fulfill uh, uh, the commitment. Out of 1.8 billion doses promised. Uh, according to Dr. Tedros, the WHO World Health Organization Director General, just uh, two days ago, only 450,000 doses have been delivered uh, to the lower uh, income countries. So it's again a problem of supply, a problem of distribution, but also a problem to respect the commitment of donating the doses that are needed. You represent workers around the world. Um, Also at that meeting, the WHO ahead was against and warned against blanket travel bans, saying that they wouldn't stop the spread of the new variant. Are you worried about border closures, new testing restrictions? Uh, Well, um, border closure uh, can be necessary at a a certain stage, but what we have been witnessing in this period is that they are not a response because the virus is spreading in in any way, and people, when they have the need, they move. Uh, There's no border to contain uh, the spread of virus, but we have means using science, using technology, and above all, overcoming this concept that that, uh, we need to protect the profit of corporate. 
uh, in a moment where the global population and the global economy is suffering so much, uh, well, this is the response. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.